In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Becoming a Christian, or becoming Christ-like, is not something that occurs to us in a single moment. It is rather more like a journey. The process of becoming more like Christ is something that takes place over a long period of time. In fact, it takes place over a lifetime. But every journey does have a starting point. In the tradition in which I was raised, that starting point was sometimes known as the sinner's prayer. It was expected, even of those who were raised in Christian households, that there would come a moment in our lives where we would pray some form of this specific prayer, and then we would have crossed that line from non-believer to believer, from non-Christian to Christian. In our tradition, the Anglican tradition, the starting point of our journey in faith, our journey in Christ, isn't a prayer that you pray. On the contrary, the starting point isn't even something that you do. The starting point of the Christian life is something the church does to you. We call this the sacrament of baptism. Now, in many traditions, including the one in which I was raised and first educated, baptism is not considered a sacrament. It's treated as something important, something that Christians should do as an act of obedience, but it's not necessary, nor is it primary. It's a secondary action, and I believe that for a long time. In fact, I thought it was crazy and frankly unbiblical to think of baptism as anything more than an action that I undertake in obedience to my Lord. And then I found passages like our reading this morning from Colossians. Before I get into that, though, I want to remind you of two important facts to kind of set the table for this conversation. First, Generally speaking, no one in the Old Testament prayed a prayer to become a child of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's something that happened to you. It was a blessing on your life that you would be born into the chosen family. And the mark of being a member of that chosen family, circumcision, was something done to you. Without you praying a prayer, or consenting, or saying, yes, I believe this. In fact, it was done to you before you had really done much of anything um, besides cry and feed. Because you had been born into the chosen family. And so you were raised as a member of that family, and so you bore the mark of that family. Second... In the early church, there were people, these are Paul's opponents in Galatians and Romans, claiming, yes, yes, Paul, the gospel 
is for the whole world. But what that means is the whole world is now invited to come and join themselves to God's chosen family by bearing the mark of that chosen family. Again, circumcision. This is what's at stake in all of the arguments in the New Testament about circumcision. There is Paul on the one hand claiming it is not a marker for entry into the people of God. And there are Paul's opponents who are saying, yes, anyone can come in. They can come into Christ, but they must come by joining themselves to God's chosen family. The question is, is circumcision still the starting line for the new, te- the new covenant people of God? And with this in mind, we can begin to hear, I think, Colossians 2 perhaps in a different way than we might have without this information. Paul starts off by commending them, recommending, instructing them to continue in Christ, to continue uh, walking in Christ just as they had received him. And again, we'll see this a bit as we go, but how had they received him? Through circumcision? No. They received him, rather, through baptism. But there's another meaning here. Notice how Paul conceives of the Christian life. Notice that it's a journey. So walk in him. It's not a moment. He doesn't say, you have received Jesus Christ the Lord. Isn't that great? Let's go have a party. He says, you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in Him. Because becoming Christ-like, conforming our lives to Jesus, becoming Christians isn't a momentary thing. It's a journey. And what does walking in Him look like? At least here in Colossians, it looks like being rooted in Christ, being built up, in Christ being established in the faith and abounding in thanksgiving. To be rooted is to be like a plant, sending its roots deep down into the good soil that is the Messiah, Jesus. To be built up is to be like a house built on solid ground that can withstand the storms of this life. To be established in faith just as you taught means to sit and to continue to listen and learn. To know your faith, to be able to communicate your faith, to know your scriptures, to know your God. This is why I will never back down from my conviction that teaching is integral to the Christian life and to any Christian community. If we aren't teaching the faith, if we aren't passing it down from one generation to the next, if we aren't helping each other to think rightly and wisely about God, Scripture, ourselves, and the world, then we may be walking as a church, but we won't be walking in the right direction. We won't be on the way. We have to keep teaching. We have to keep thinking, and we have to keep giving thanks So that we can keep ourselves on the path that we began at our baptism. It's a stretch, I think, to say that Paul has the Eucharist in mind here when he says giving thanks or thanksgiving. But nevertheless, the Eucharist is 
one of the many ways, if not the principal way, in which the church continues to give thanks today. In verse 8, then, Paul warns that in contrast to walking in Christ, you can be taken captive by philosophy, empty deceit according to human tradition. Not, Not thinking about God, but thinking about the world apart from God. According, he says, to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. It's really remarkable that Paul can so easily describe something like circumcision from the Old Testament as something according to the elemental spirits of the world. But his point is that circumcision and everything else in this world everything that claims our allegiance, everything that we think gives us some access to God or meaning or definition, everything in this world has been superseded by Jesus Christ. Because they are at best shadows. They are at best imitations. In contrast, in Him... The whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then he says, and you have been filled in him. This is, I think, a thought that is beyond our ability to comprehend. But notice what he says. In him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him. There is nothing you lack, Paul is saying. You to whom my opponents have come, saying you have to be circumcised if you want to be full members of the people of God. No, you lack nothing because there is nothing lacking in Christ. In Him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And when you received Him, you were made full in Him. You lack Nothing. You have no need for circumcision. In fact, he says, in him you have already been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That is, by having been buried with him where? In baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. Notice what's going on here. This is is really important. Paul's answer to his opponents about the necessity of circumcision is a full-blown sacramental view of baptism. His answer is when you were baptized, you were united with Jesus Christ. And you didn't just put off a small part of your body in circumcision. You put off your whole body because you died with Him and you were raised with Him. This is why I cannot believe 
in baptism merely as a symbolic act of obedience in which nothing actually happens. For Paul, baptism is the starting line. It is the moment in which you are made complete in Him in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. It is the moment in which you die. But it is also by the power of God, the moment in which you rise. Which is why Paul can say the seemingly absurd. If you have your Bible open, you can just look at verse 20 or you can look at the screen. But he'll say in verse 20, If with Christ you died. And then a bit later in 3.1, If then you have been raised with Christ. This is for Paul merely a shorthand way of saying, if you have been baptized. And I know, I can hear my younger self uh, yelling at me from the pews, uh, you know, sort of, um, I used to stress so much in my, in my Greek classes about some of this stuff that my uh, hands would literally sweat into my Greek New Testament, and then my hands would be stained red from the cover. I had to wrap my, my Bible in tape just to prevent uh, walking away with stained hands. But I know I can hear myself saying, uh, yeah, I hear you. But when you're standing back there at the baptismal font, it, it just looks like you're pouring water on somebody's head. And not much happens. It would be nice, frankly, if every time that I baptized someone, just like when Jesus was baptism, the, the heavens were ripped apart, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove, and we could all hear the voice of God declaring what had just happened. That would make things uh, a lot easier. Unfortunately, that is not how the Christian life works. In fact, to the contrary, Our whole Christian life, don't miss this, our whole Christian life is based on the premise that actions in history can carry more meaning than the human eye, the human mind can ascertain. Let me say that again. Our whole Christian faith is based on the premise that actions in history carry more meaning than the human eye and the human mind can ascertain. If you don't believe me, just look at what Paul says in the very next verse. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, past tense, made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. How did he do this? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers 
and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And thanks be to God for that. The hymn asks, were you there? And no, I wasn't. But if I had been there, if you had been there, would you have seen the human debt of sin and the legal requirements of the law nailed to the cross? No. Would you have seen as they beat him and led him out to Golgotha and crucified him? Would you have seen the rulers and authorities of this world put to open shame? No. What you would have seen is the rulers and authorities of this world putting to death just another Jewish peasant. But so much more was happening in that moment. And so much more is happening when we baptize someone or when we take the sacrament. This whole life that we live has more meaning and more depth than we can ascertain with just our mind, with just our sight and our senses. We need to use a term, apocalyptic vision. We need faith to help us pull back the curtain and see reality, see ourselves the way that God sees us. And that's what Paul's doing in this verse, or in these verses. He's helping us for just a moment pull back the curtain and see that because we have already been baptized into Jesus Christ, because someone poured water on our heads or immersed us into the water in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we are complete. We have been filled. There's nothing, nothing that you lack. And so Paul says, how you began, so continue to walk in Him. The filling, the dying, the rising, the water, they are the starting point of this journey. But if we forget where we began, if we forget what it is that defines the path on which we walk, that we won't be walking on the way, we'll be walking on our own path, or even worse, taken captive and having our journey cut short. So, Paul's plea with the Galatians and through this text with you as well is that you will be rooted in Christ, that you will be built up in Christ because that's how the journey began. He wants you firmly grounded 
Not in me, not in this church, not in your favorite preacher or author, not in your favorite news network, not in your favorite political party, not in your favorite sports team, that one's for me, not in anything but in Him and His body. To be rooted, to be rooted and built up in Him means to have an active prayer life. It means making Scripture a part of your daily routine. It means participating in the sacraments. It means continuing to come to be taught in the faith. It means participating in the life of this body. All of that, and the list could go on, is how we stay rooted and built up in Him into whom we were baptized. And the remarkable thing is that this journey ends precisely where it began. Because, as Paul said, in him you have already died and you have already been raised. What is true of Him is true of you, and that is our only hope in this world. Our only hope is that God looks on us and sees Him. Nothing more, nothing less. And so in this journey that we call the Christian life, we are simply becoming who We already are in Him. We are becoming who the church declared us to be, who Christ made us when we were baptized. I can't convince you of this. The heavens don't open when I baptize people. There's no voice. This is faith. This is faith. But listen to me when I tell you. You will never be more and you will never be less than who you were when you were baptized. You will never be more and you will never be less than who you were when you were baptized. If we can wrap our head around that thought, then we will be on the way. And we'll be walking in Him. Amen.